indeed as we consider him as a beautiful savior a wonderful counselor amen we continue with our series on philippians life in christ and last week we looked at chapter one looking at verse 12 to uh, verse 18 um, today we'll look at verse 18 b until verse 26 uh, Philippians chapter 1 we continue with Paul's uh, thought as he explains his situation to the Philippians um, in verse 18 to verse 26 18b he says yes and I will rejoice for I know that your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectations and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage now as always whether by life now as always Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Consid convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And this is God's word. Amen. The topic today or the title of today's sermon is Undying Determination in the Face of Trials. Undying Determination in the Face of Trials. John MacArthur in, in a, a chapter of his book, the name of the book or the title of the, the, the book is Slave. He tells of a, of a young man, it is a story of a young man um, who was resolute and who stood uh, trial before a Roman governor because of his faith. Here's what he says about the young man. I am a Christian. The young man said nothing else as he stood before the Roman governor, his life hanging in the balance. His accusers pressed him again, hoping to trip him up or, or force him to recant. But once more he answered with the very same short phrase, I am a Christian. It was the middle of the second century during the reign of, the, of, of Emperor Marcus Aurelius. Christianity was illegal, and believers throughout the Roman Empire faced a threat of imprisonment, torture, or even death. Persecution was especially intense in southern Europe, where Sanctus, the name of this young man, a deacon in Vienna, had been arrested and brought to trial. The young man was repeatedly told to renounce the faith he professed, but his resolve was undeterred. I am a Christian. No matter what the question he was asked, he always gave the same unchanging answer. And according to the ancient church historian Eusebius, Sanctus guided himself against his accusers with such firmness, with such firmness that he would not even tell his name or the nation or the city to which he belonged or whether he was bond or free but answered in the Roman tongue to all their questions. I am a Christian. When at last it became obvious that he would, he would say nothing else, he was condemned to severe torture and a public death at the amphitheater. And on the day of his execution, when he was going to be killed, he was forced to run the gallant, subjected to wild beasts, and, and, and fastened it to a chair of burning iron. Think about that. He was put on a chair that was hot. 
throughout all of it, throughout all of that ordeal, that process. His accusers kept trying to break him, convinced that his resistance would crack under the pain of torment. But as Eusebius recounted, he says, even thus, they did not hear a word from Sanctus except the confession which he had uttered from the beginning. I am a Christian. His dying words told of an undying commitment. His railing cry remained constant throughout his entire trial. I am a Christian. Here is a story of a young man whose, committed, whose commitment to Christ was unwavering even in the face of trials. Even when he faced death, he wanted to be known for nothing else but that he belonged to Christ, that he was a follower of Christ, that he was a disciple of Christ, that he was a child of God. Nothing else mattered to him but the fact that he wanted to be known as a Christian. He wanted to identify as a Christian. He didn't want to be remembered for anything except for the fact that he is a Christian. He had an undying determination to honor Christ, even if that meant death. Even if it meant being ridiculed in the amphitheater. Even if it meant being torn apart by wild animals. I, 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 I'm sure some of you have watched those movies that reenact those times in, in the Roman Empire where uh, people would be thrown in the, in the amphitheater and animals would be released, wild animals, lions, and lions would charge to them and would rip them apart. These people stood to honor Christ. And this can also be said of Paul. He had an undying determination to honor Christ in the face of trials. And we saw last week how he, he saw his trials through the lens of the gospel, right? He, 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 the way he looked at his trials, he saw his trials through a gospel lens. Noting, that, noting to the Philippians that his imprisonment did not hinder the gospel but served to advance it. His trials presented to him new opportunities for ministry, being able to reach people with the gospel who would, who would otherwise not have been reached. And again, weak Christians were encouraged by his response to trials that they grew bold to witness for Christ. And again, many also were able to preach the gospel because of his imprisonment. Paul continues in this passage considering his imprisonment. And as we consider his word, we see that we, we see what defined his life as a Christian. We see also how Paul was an ordinary man. He was not a super Christian. Something that we need to notice, Paul was not a super Christian. In other words, we cannot say, well, Paul responded the way he did to trust because he was Paul. I mean, think about Paul. He, he's a super Christian. There's no Christian like him, but Paul saw himself as an ordinary Christian. He saw himself as one who is in need of the prayers of believers. When you look at verse 19, he saw himself as in need of the help of the Lord. He, he did not have any resources in himself to stand. He needed the same resources that you and I need. He was no ordinary Christian. He was no, no, no super Christian. To use the phrase of James, he was a man with a, with a nature like ours. And we have, immediate, we have an immediate example of that in verse 19 when he enlists the prayers of the saints and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. When you look at verse 19, Again, in verse 19, we, 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 we have a clue into, into the, 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 the whole idea or, 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 or the, the, the big idea of the passage. He says, yes, and I will rejoice 
for I know that through your prayers and the spirit and the help of the of the spirit of Jesus Christ this will turn out for my deliverance he enlists the prayers of believers and, and, and when you look at the word here the word deliverance in this context does not mean escape or or release from prison Paul is not thinking about that at the moment but rather it is suggested that because the word deliverance can also be translated salvation it is referring to the final deliverance of believers at the last judgment when they stand vindicated before God so Paul at the moment is not he's not saying guys pray for my release pray for my release he that is not what he cares about at the moment he cares about honoring God he wants to stand, but he still wants to be prayed for. I don't know if any believer who does not yearn for other believers to pray for him or her. It, 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 it is, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm digressing, but let me talk a bit about that. The, the, the body of Christ when we are in the body of christ when we are believers when we are in the church we we come together with various challenges and weaknesses and when we open ourselves to one another we we enlist the prayers of believers we we welcome believers to pray for us we enlist the, the help of the spirit of jesus christ that is the church Paul is thinking about the last day when he will stand before God. In other words, he was confident of his ultimate deliverance. Whatever Caesar decided to do with him, Paul knew that he would have to stand trial before Caesar. But he was confident that this imprisonment will finally, at the end of the day, work out for his deliverance. He's saying, I don't care what Caesar decides. Even if he condemns me, at the end of the day, I will stand before God vindicated. In other words, it is that attitude of saying, it doesn't matter if the world hates me for standing for truth and believing in Jesus Christ. I know that when I stand before God, I will be vindicated. It doesn't matter if the world uh, rejects me, if the world does not want me or want to hear me. I know that when I will stand before God, God will be honored. I know that he will welcome me into his kingdom, into his home, saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, I know that it is my desire, and I hope it is your desire to hear those last words from our Lord. says well done good and successful servant that's what he says right no no Jesus Christ is not going to look at what you have the, the amount of wealth that you have amassed in this world the, the amount of cars the, the kinds of cars that you've driven the, the kind of houses that you've lived in the, the, the gold that you had the, the silver that you had the, the, the name that you, you, you the fame that you possessed in this world and he's not going to look at those things and say wow wow well done good and successful servant Jesus is not looking for that Jesus is looking for faithfulness even in the midst of trials and in, in the midst of pain and, and hardships, Jesus Christ is looking for people that are faithful. Well done, good and faithful, faithful servant. This is the same idea that Paul expresses to Timothy when he was again in prison as he wrote his final epistle. Remember that as he writes this final epistle, History tells us that Paul, after writing 2 Timothy, was executed. He was beheaded. This is what he writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. He says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and, and bring me safely 
into his kingdom, into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul knows that he's going to die. But he says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and, and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. He knows that the next day he's going to be executed. But he's looking forward to something that is far greater than any earthly reward. And if you pay attention to his tone here in this passage of Philippians, you sense a man that is resolute, right? A man that is determined. Even if, it, if that means death. An undying determination in the face of trust. Looking at this passage before us, we see that undying determination is marked by two commitments. Undying determination is marked by two commitments. First, commitment to Christ, and secondly, commitment to the church. Commitment to the church. And it is clear when you look at the passage that he's talking about two kinds of commitment. Look at verse 23a. He says, I am hard-pressed between the two. You see that? How this passage breaks into two, and in Paul's mind, it breaks into two as well. But we are not to misunderstand these two commitments as contradictory to each other. But we are to see them both as, as honoring to God. Let us look at the first commitment that Paul has. A commitment to Christ. Commitment to Christ in verse 20 and verse 21. Listen to what Paul says. He says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Jesus in his last uh, discourse to his disciples before he, his crucifixion in John chapter 15 verse 18 to 20 this is what he says to them he says if the world hates you know that it has hated me before it hated you listen to these words if you were of the world the world will love you as its own but because you are not of the world but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, Christ is saying, if they persecute me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Jesus paints a picture of what the attitude of the, the attitude of the world towards those who are his and uh, those who belong to him is going to be. He, he doesn't present a Joel Austin vision of Christianity. A, a Christianity that is rosy and everything is nice. He, he does not present a your best life now kind of Christianity. Jesus Christ does not preach like Joel Austin. You know, just love one another. Everything is going to be fine. Just keep loving and keep living. And God will bless you with whatever you want. God will give you all that you want in your heart. That is not the Christianity that Jesus presents. Jesus says to them, this is how the world will respond to you. It will respond to you the very same way it responded to me. It will be hostile. It will respond with hostility. In fact, Jesus says in, in Luke chapter 6, I think it's Luke chapter 6, that woe is you if, the, if, if everyone thinks well of you. Woe is you if everybody thinks well of you. And there's a problem. It means that you might not be speaking the truth as you're supposed to be speaking the truth. It means that you might not be standing for anything. And if you're not standing for anything, the result is you'll fall for anything. 
Jesus says, the world will treat you as it has treated me. And Paul knows this very well. He, he proclaimed the message of life, a message of liberation. And he ended up in prison because of it. And chances are he might be executed because of this. The world responded to him with hostility. And listen to this. If Paul wanted to leave, if he, if he wanted to escape, if he wanted to be released, he could just say a few words. He could just say, well, Christ is not Lord. I reject him. Caesar is Lord. You see, recanting of the Christian faith was met by immediate acquittal. When you recant of the faith and say, I, I'm, not, I'm not identifying myself with Christ anymore, I reject him, they release you. Paul could just say that, right? In fact, Paul could say that and then lie to them. After he's released, he can go back and preach. But he stands for Christ. What we see from Paul is a man who wants to honor Christ to the end. He does not want to compromise. He is not looking for compromise. He wants to honor Christ to the end. Jesus gives a, a, a parable of a sower who went out to sow in Matthew chapter 13. And he sowed on, on four uh, kinds of soils, four kinds of grounds. In, in verse 5 and 6, he, he talks about the second ground uh, where the seed fell on. This is what he says about the second ground. He says, other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched and since they had no root, they withered away. Listen to the explanation of this parable in verses 20 and 21. Listen to how Jesus explains it. He says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So this person hears the word, but has no, has no root in himself. Because, as a Christian, persecution will arise. Tribulation will arise. Instead of standing, this person reveals what was in the heart all along. He falls away. And Jesus says, immediately he falls away. These are people who are ready to leave Christ at the first sign of trouble. The idea of Christianity is a trouble-free or a problem-free life. Jesus will solve all your problems, right? When we say all your problems, what do we mean? It can be a true statement. But what do we mean? Do we mean that you will have a trouble-free life? Do we mean that there will not be any hardships in your life? If that is what we mean, then we are not talking about a Christianity of the Bible. Just study the lives of the apostles. Study the lives of the prophets. I'm reading through Ezekiel in my, in my devotions, and, and I remember when I got to chapter 4, I just prayed a little prayer and said, Lord, I never want to become like Ezekiel. The trials that they faced, the persecutions, the hardships that they faced, because they identified themselves with Christ. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Listen to what he says in verse... Uh, Verse 12, he says, Indeed, all who desire 
to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be blessed. They will receive everything in abundance. Is that what he says? No. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You see that? They will be persecuted. All who desire to live for Christ, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ, they will be met by persecution from the world. <laughs> the truth is, in this world, we will face trouble sometimes. We will face hardships and difficulty. That is why we need to maintain this gospel community. Right? I sound like a broken record again because I'm coming back to it. That is why we need to, to, to maintain this gospel community. In a gospel community, we get to know what kind of hardships you are going through. How we can come alongside you as our brother and sister in Christ. Right? We will face hardships as Christians. And it is good to consider Paul's words. Instead of falling away because of, of his trust, he clings to Christ. He, he holds on to Christ. Notice in verse 20. He says, as, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. The, the idea of eager expectation and hope is of a person who is looking away from everything else and on the object of desire. It, it's, 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 it's the idea of a person who has turned their eyes away from the world, everything else, and is focusing on the object of desire. The word was used of watchmen, people who, who, who would be in a tower watching if, if there was um, if there, there, there were enemies that are trying to assail the city. It was used of watchmen looking into the darkness for a beacon of light. Paul fixed his eyes on Christ and was determined that in nothing he would be ashamed. He would be a witness for Jesus Christ. Paul knew that he must appear before the Lord someday and did not want to be ashamed. Paul wanted to stand for the gospel. He wanted to stand for Christ even before Caesar himself. He wanted to he for Caesar to hear the gospel. He wanted to testify before Caesar. But he knew that this might result in his death. He did not shrink back. He was not at all ashamed to be identified with Christ. Isn't that what Christ says? If you are ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. Paul was not at all ashamed. His, beacon, his biggest concern was not his life. But his biggest concern was the honor of Christ. He says, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. The, the, the word honor that he uses can also be translated as exalt. He, he wants Christ to be exalted, whether he lives or dies. He wants at the end of the day, Christ to be the one who's honored. Christ to be the one who's exalted. And, and note that the fact that the way we exalt Christ is through our bodies. And this is a comprehensive and practical concept that we need to, to consider. It means that we may either exalt Christ or, or bring shame to his name by our attitudes, by our words, and our behavior. How do you use your eyes? Ask yourself that. A lustful glance at a woman or even looking at illicit pictures does not exalt Christ. How do you use your ears? Do you listen to gossip or, or slander? How do you use your tongue? Do you speak things that are building or things that destroy? Your hands, 
your, your feet, your, your countenance? Do you use your body in purity or, or in sensuality? What about your personal preference, appearance? Your, 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 your personal appearance? Do you dress to be seductive or to attract attention to yourself? Or do you exalt Christ? To live is Christ, Paul says. It means to exalt him in everything that we do. And if we cannot share Paul's concern or Paul's desire to honor Christ or exalt Christ, it means that we have not seen clearly as he has seen the wonder of what Christ has done. In verse 21, we see a powerful test for all of us. He says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Put a blank after the phrase to live is. Just put a blank and ask yourself and put another blank after the phrase and to die is. How would you fill in the blanks? If you say to yourself, to live is money, then you must say, to die is to leave it all behind. If you say, to live is fame, then you must say, to die is to be forgotten. If you say, to live is pleasure, then you must say, to die is to lose it all. But if you join Paul in this chorus in saying to live is Christ, then you must join him in saying to die is gain. To die is gain. The Puritan Richard Sibbs understood Paul's yearning to be with Christ. This is what he wrote. He says, why should we then fear death? That is that is but a passage to Christ. It is but a grim sergeant that lets us into a glorious palace, that strikes off our bolts, that takes off our rags, that we may be clothed with better robes, that ends all our misery and is the beginning of all our happiness. Why should we therefore be afraid of death? Is it but a departure to be a better condition? We... we as Christians, we are not afraid of death. It doesn't mean you say, okay, I want to go outside and get hit by a car. Not that. But whatever, whenever death presents itself, we will gladly meet it. Because we know we serve one who has conquered death on a cross. He rose from the dead, so that we may have life. You see, the life of a Christian does not end here. So, unlike Joel Austin, who says, your best life now, your, the life of a Christian is not your best life now. Your best life is kept for you by God. Right? In fact, if you're having your best life now, if you think that Christianity is having your best life now, maybe you must deal with your understanding of what Christianity is. I'm not saying that you must be a grim, long-nosed, uh, not smiling kind of person. I'm not saying that. Christianity is a life of joy, right? This is what we see in, in Philippians. But again, Christianity is not a life of amassing wealth. It's not a life of material possession. Those who tell you that your blessing will double, double, it will not double, double. We don't understand blessing as material possessions. We understand blessing as a life of fruitfulness with Christ. Right? So Paul's first commitment is a commitment to Christ. And, and naturally, his, his commitment to Christ flowed to his other commitment. Commitment to the church. Commitment to the church, verses 24 and 26. Listen to what he says. He says, but to remain in the flesh, let me read from verse 23. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. 
he continues to say, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. You, 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 cannot, you cannot be committed to Christ and not be committed to the church. There is a misconception among people that one can be a Christian and not be committed to his church and not be a member of his church. That is utter nonsense. That is nonsense. It is unbiblical. Because to be committed to Christ is to be committed to his word. And logically, if you are committed to his word, his word calls you to be committed to the church. You see that? If you say Christ is Lord, you say, how is he lording himself over you? He is doing it through his word. And then you cannot pick and choose what you want to obey. Right? Notice Paul's commitment to the church. Look at verse 24. Paul is in prison, probably about to die. But he still says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He, he still had a heart for the church, even though he was facing imprisonment and even death. He saw the fact that if his life was spared, that it would be beneficial for the church. He explains this in detail in, in, in verse 25 by saying, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain with you all for the progress and joy in for your progress, for the progress and joy in the faith. Although he was not sure whether or not he will be executed, he was hopeful that if this was going to end with his life spared, he was going to commit his life to serving them and if that is the case he wants to see the progress of the church and believers growing in joy in the faith when paul looked forward and and beheld the eternal weight of glory which awaited him his his soul could not but long for the body to be dissolved he he wanted to be with christ he says for that is far better he wanted to be with the Lord. But when he looked around and, and saw Christ's church comforted and refreshed by his personal ministry, Paul felt a willingness to postpone his own everlasting happiness for the promotion of the everlasting happiness of the Lord's people. He goes on to give a reason for this. He says, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. I'm about to finish, but I want to just... Uh, highlight a few a few things our biggest motivation our biggest motivation for the progress and the joy of the church must be the glory of christ we must be committed to glorifying christ we must seek the glory of christ and if we are seeking the glory of christ then it means we are seeking the progress and the joy of the believers in the faith and I want you to note the last phrase. That last phrase, he says, because of my coming to you again. Because of my coming to you again. Paul's presence in the church at Philippi would mean progress and, and joy in the faith. It would mean that the church would benefit spiritually. And I want to ask you, how about your presence in the church? What does it mean? Do you seek the progress of the church and joy in the faith or, or do you seek to bring division and conflict what does your coming to church mean is your presence one that is marked by complaining about things that are wrong or do you seek to avail yourself where there is a need for serving is your presence one that is marked by a critical spirit or an encouraging spirit are you concerned about the progress of the church? Are you concerned about joy in the faith of believers? Are those things concerning you? Are you committed to the body of Christ? 
What does your coming say? Paul says, because of my coming to you again. He says, my coming to you again will be beneficial for you. My coming to you again will mean the progress of the church. My coming to you again will mean growth in the spirit. Will mean growth in faith and joy and love for one another. It will mean the church will strive from strength to strength. What does your coming mean? What does it mean? Your presence in the church, what does that mean? Consider that. Think about that for a minute. Are you concerned about what Christ is concerned about? Or do you have your own agendas? He said in Matthew chapter 16, on this rock, talking about the rock of confessing him as Lord and Savior. He says, on this rock, I will build my church. He built his church. He died for his church. His blood was spilled for his church. He went to the cross. He, he was buried for three days and he rose again for the progress of his church and he will come back for his church. My question is, when he comes back for his church, will you be committed to his church? Will you be committed to his church? Amen. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word that corrects and rebukes us. That reminds us of our joy in you. Building us an undying determination to honor you in the face of trials. To be committed to you to be committed to your church, the progress of your church, the joy in the faith, the growth of your church. Pray that you build us as a church, O oh God. In the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As uh, the mic will be passed um, for prayer, I, I want you to think about what you just heard. I don't want it to be one of those things. I, I'm not an entertainer. I'm not a comedian. I don't stand on the pulpit to just tickle your ears. My desire is that we will grow as a church. And my desire is that the word will convict our hearts. The, world, the word will charge us and energize us to, to grow and to, to want to see the church progressing, to, to want to see our lives committed to Christ. I want to call you to, to think about this, to consider all these things. And when you feel led to pray, remember specifically that God would help us to prioritize him in our lives, to prioritize Christ in our lives. Remember specifically again, that we would seek the progress and the betterment of the church. And may those things be things that really uh, consume our lives, that, that take our hearts, that we, what we will want to see these things being displayed in the life of the church. Amen. So if you feel led, raise your hand. The mic will be passed to you can pray. I'll close up.
Heavenly Father, we, as I come to church every Sunday, do I come for entertainment? Should I come to meet friends? Or should I come to worship you? I can't do this on my own, but through your power and through my commitment, you will make me be exemplary, a light on the beacon. I pray that you give me strength, you give us strength as a church, that we come to church as a body, a body of Christ. We thank you for the message that as we come to you and worship you, it will be a challenge here on earth. People will fight. But through that, we pray, O oh Lord, that you give us power, you give us spirit, one spirit to worship you. We thank you for the wonderful message that we have come to worship you, we have come to commit ourselves before you. May this message be a message that builds us from now on. We pray for all of us that we become united so that your name will be glorified mm. before men. We pray for our pastor. Give him strength. Give him courage to keep on talking, preaching, telling the truth, telling us what we are supposed to do in order to reach you. We are grateful for the message. And we pray this and keep it in our hearts. In your name. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we come into your presence, O oh Lord. For, Lord, it is through thy grace that we are here. It is through thy grace that, Lord, we listen to, the life, to this word, Lord, the lives of Paul, the character of Paul. Father, I want to pray, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, give us a character like Paul, a character to live in the presence of Christ, a character to stay in the presence of Christ, a character to think in the presence of Christ. A character to be in the presence of Christ. Father, I want to pour, I want to pray for that character of Paul, Lord. Father, that shall we desire to be with Christ. Father, and also that we may take note of our lives, that our lives in church, they are for the benefit of other people. As we speak the word of God, as we desire to, to pray, that we are here for the benefit of others. And that, Lord, let us help us, Lord, that we may share the word, Lord. Help us that we may live the lives that may impact on, on, other, on the children. That, Lord, they may grow up knowing you. They may grow up understanding Jesus Christ. That they may grow up live, loving Jesus Christ. Father, I pray, Lord, for this false character, Lord, that, Lord, Help us to learn from Paul. Help us to understand Christ through the eyes of Paul. Father, for he, has, for he ministered to all in sundry that Jesus Christ is Lord. Mm. His desire for the people to understand the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Paul's desire to preach the kingdom of God. Father, I want to pray for our own lives here in our church, Lord. That, Lord, as we go into the world, help us to build 
a relationship of Christ with the people who are in our families, who, who, the people who surround us, our friends, our workmates, our colleagues. Let Jesus Christ be shown by the way that we live outside this church, Lord. Help us to have characters which are strong, Lord. Characters which stand for Jesus Christ, Lord. Characters which accept Jesus Christ, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our dear and mighty Heavenly Father, we thank you, our God, for this opportunity to listen to your word. Thank you, Lord, for touching our hearts as you raised in us, O oh God, the question of how is our commitment to Christ, how is our commitment to others. Thank you for the example of Paul when he says, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Father, what a commitment here to you. And thank you, O oh Father, for he was also committed to the body of Christ, that for your sake I may not depart so that what I have can benefit the church. We thank your God for raising this awareness to us. Help us to devote our energy. Help us to devote ourselves to working for others to bring the message of Christ to our community. We are indeed grateful, so grateful for this message. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. Lord, as we hear your word, we pray that you transform our minds, you mold our hearts, and you conform our will to your will. Your will is that, Lord, we will be committed to Christ, make him priority in our lives, make him first choice, and that we'll be committed to the body of Christ, the church. Help us, Lord. Help us, Father. Give us the strength that we need, the wisdom that we need to come alongside one another. That when we come together, our fellowship will be marked by encouragement, will be marked by unity, will be marked by growing in love. For you say that by this, the world will know that we are your disciples if we love one another. Help us, O oh God, as a church. Help us, O oh God, in our weaknesses. Give us the strength that we need to be committed. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray all this. Amen. <laughs>